If you are looking for holistic wisdom and a plan to reclaim your fertility to help you create a healthy family for generations to come, you're in the right place. This is Fertile Minds Radio. Welcome to episode 103, You're Pregnant, Now What? Steps to Worry Less and Embrace the Gift. My name's Hilary Talbot Rowland, and I'll be your host for this episode. My hope is that if you aren't pregnant yet, you'll still have a listen for two reasons. Number one, it will help you to know a little of what to expect and what is and is not in your control when navigating a Western medical model in terms of being seen by your OB for the first time. And number two, when we understand what is normal and when in terms of our symptoms with the beginning of a pregnancy, I believe that it invites less room to think things are going wrong. When you finally see that big, fat, positive line, there can be so many thoughts and feelings that you didn't expect. And many of us spend so long in our fertility journey and we have this like fantasy fallacy thought of I'll be happy when I'm pregnant. And then we're shocked to feel that the happiness is often fleeting and kind of quickly replaced with worry, anxiousness, and even disbelief when we first get pregnant. And the reason that you know that this is happening to you is if you're taking like seven tests instead of just one. And even if we're able to hold that happiness and excitement, the number of weeks that we are asked to wait for doctor confirmation of our pregnancy can be excruciating. In some geographical locations in the U.S., you may not be seen until weeks eight to ten of your pregnancy. There are several reasons for this. Number one, most miscarriages happen within six weeks time. There aren't any options in Western medicine to stop an early miscarriage, so why would your doc see you until they know that there's a viable pregnancy if they don't have any tools to help if it's not going well? And number two, this is complicated by provider shortages in some areas, which is why you may be asked to wait eight to 10 weeks. And number three, you can't see a heartbeat on an ultrasound until at least six weeks. So an ultrasound earlier than that may cause undue stress and worry for the parents. Not to mention that the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, ACOG, has shifted its stance on ultrasound rather recently to only being, only including one as necessary during the entire pregnancy, which happens during the weeks of 18 to 22. In my opinion, this long wait can be a breeding ground for worry if we aren't onto ourselves and our thought patterns, especially if we don't have really strong symptoms that alert us to being pregnant, like fatigue, shortness of breath, and nausea. So today I want to give you some action items that you can do to create solid evidence for yourself that everything is going to plan in addition to you doing your own intentional models about how you want to think and feel when you do fall pregnant. I find simply knowing what weeks to expect certain symptoms can help a little in our minds to counter those sneaky thoughts and feelings that everything must be going wrong. So let's first talk about when to expect certain symptoms and how often they occur in the general population, and then what you can do to soften their impact on your life. And then we will talk about early lab tests that you may want to run if you can't get into your doctor as quickly as you would like. So when do all these symptoms show up anyways? Fatigue may very well be one of the first signs you experience. Please embrace it. Build in time for naps if your work schedule allows. 
Even 20 minutes of closing your eyes or meditating after lunch can be hugely beneficial for your stamina throughout the rest of the day. Remember Miranda sleeping under her desk in Sex in the City? That is for real, ladies. Fatigue is a very real symptom in early pregnancy that can start as soon as fertilization and last until about 12 to 15 weeks typically. Around the time of the second trimester, you start to find your stride and feel much improved. Shortness of breath is the second symptom that you might experience. As soon as your body detects human chorionic gandotropin, or HCG, which is the hormone that lets your body know there is a pregnancy and to not contract that uterus to shed the lining, it goes to work increasing your blood volume. Your body will increase its current blood volume by about 50% to build the placenta. This is such an incredible thing that I think we forget, especially when we can't see our pregnancy and nobody knows. We are literally constructing a new organ inside of ourselves. When this happens, your body will be attaching the protein hemoglobin to the blood it is sending to the placenta to ensure that it is oxygen-rich for the baby. This may leave you feeling a little out of breath while doing the easiest of tasks like carrying groceries or climbing a flight of stairs, even if you are an athlete prior to conception. Iron supplements prior to conceiving and in early stages of pregnancy may help to offset this. In fact, iron deficiency may account for 35% of miscarriages, so it's not a bad idea to plan for this symptom way before falling pregnant by having your iron, ferritin, and hemoglobin and B vitamin levels checked to decide if you should supplement with it to help you conceive and stay pregnant. Deep breathing exercises may also be a benefit to help you and keep your oxygen saturation levels as high as possible for both you and the baby. This will also help to offset fatigue. You want to make sure that the breathing exercises are safe for pregnancy. And any of the breathing exercises inside our Conscious Conceptions program and on this podcast under Mindful Moments are suitable and safe for your entire pregnancy. The third symptom I want to talk about is nausea. This is the one that everybody pretty much expects but doesn't always get. This lovely symptom happens sometime around week 7 typically and continues until about week 12 to 15 as a result of increasing hormones, and it's estimated to occur in about 50 to 90% of all pregnancies. Such a huge ratio, right? 50 to 90%. I think that that's because a lot of women don't always report it, or maybe it happens in bursts or just in the beginning and not the whole time. It may not be in the morning either, even though it's commonly referred to as morning sickness. It can strike at any time or be all of the time, unfortunately. I find that a lot of my working moms notice it at the end of the day when they're worn out. The best thing to do to be prepared for it is to have snacks on hand in your purse and to stay hydrated, especially if your nausea causes you to actually throw up, causing further dehydration. If we get dehydrated, it can contribute to something called hyperemesis gravidum, where you continually vomit. Trust me when I say this sucks the joy out of pregnancy. Thankfully, this only occurs in half a percent to two percent of pregnancies. It's pretty rare. I've seen it twice in all of the women that I've treated, which is a very, very large number. So please don't get worried that this is going to happen to you. You are at higher risk, though, if you become severely dehydrated you're pregnant with multiples, or prone to motion sickness prior to falling pregnant, or if you had hyperesis gravidum in the prior pregnancy. So if this is your second pregnancy and you already had it the first time, we need to do all that we can to stave this off. 
Acupuncture two to three times a week or daily acupressure are excellent tools to minimize both the nausea and potential HG. And if you do have HD, please, please, please advocate for yourself for IV therapy to stay hydrated and nourished. Another option that may help the nausea are ginger chews or mint tea. Now, these are two very different herbs. Mint is very cooling, ginger is very warming. So how do you know which one to pick? Some of you will have an immediate aversion to one or the other, like no way, no how am I putting ginger in my body. So if that is the case, I encourage you to follow that intuition. From a Chinese medicine perspective, if you are someone that typically runs cooler on the cool side, gentle warming may be appropriate. So ginger might be in your best bet. Or if you have a slow sluggish digestion, ginger can typically speed that up. Now, if you're somebody that runs hot a lot of the time, you might be more favorable with mint. So try both of them. I like ginger chews and spearmint tea um, that not peppermint but spearmint is actually uh, better for the nausea and actually has less contraindication than regular mint does. The other thing that you can do to help with your nausea is regulating your blood sugar with small easy to digest foods. For some of us this can be a time when there is a major departure from our normal way of eating and you may notice that you have an aversion to meat or veggies, especially raw veggies. You also may notice that your brain wants you to only eat white or yellow foods, which are usually simple carbs like crackers and pasta. Don't worry, this will not last forever. I encourage you to take in what your body is craving without judging yourself from any deviations from your prior clean eating patterns. These cravings can be due to the sheer amount of readily available glucose your body needs for rapid cell development of your baby, along with the primal needs to ensure that you aren't eating anything that could potentially make you sick with food poisoning, or it's a really smart way for your body to just address nutrient deficiencies that it has. Remember, your body knows how to do this, even if it's first time, and listening to your body can help you feel better. The other tip for nausea is to know that your hormones double every other day approximately. You may notice that you feel great one day and poor the next day and then great the next day. Try not to freak out on those days that you feel good. The other thing that I observe happen in some of my women though is that on the days where they feel good, they then try and make up for lost productivity the next day by overdoing and end up feeling terrible for not one but two days. So please give yourself permission to rest when you feel like dog poo. Do not be superwoman on your good days. You're stealing from your future wellness when you do this. Just plan if you can to be at about half capacity through your first trimester. It's only three months. You've waited a really long time to be pregnant. So just give yourself permission to not do all the things if you can. We can also take advantage of this pattern of our hormones doubling every other day in the first weeks of pregnancy to better understand how our pregnancy is actually progressing in those weeks before we finally have an ultrasound. You can have a series of two to three quantitative, not qualitative, we want quantitative HCG blood draws, that human chorionic gandotropin, and we want them spaced 48 to 72 hours apart to check how our HCG levels are progressing. 
If they are over 50 at two weeks post-fertilization, or what would be considered four weeks of pregnancy in the Western medical model, due to the fact that they count weeks of pregnancy from your last missed period, that over 50 is a very, very good sign. Now, over 25 is within normal ranges. When you go back two days after that, that number should be more than doubled. And then the same if you return for a third draw two days after your second, that number should have also at least doubled. I'll attach a chart from the AmericanPregnancy.org to show you notes where you can check your levels against the week of your pregnancy. It should be noted though that this is only reliable in the first few weeks of pregnancy and we are looking more at the complete trend of the numbers than one number to tell the story. So if you're squeamish and you think to yourself, I only want to do one blood draw, don't do one. We need to at least have two. Also, the other caveat that I want to stress is that you could have a low normal first draw and still go on to have a perfectly healthy pregnancy, especially in the case of a natural pregnancy. Above 50 is more to my liking in IVF cases where the embryo has been genetically tested and we know the exact date of growth, whereas in natural conception, our timing could be off and there could be something like a slow-to-start pregnancy, but everything ends up sorting itself out perfectly because nature has a way sometimes. And since we are talking about the differences of how this test might be interpreted in regards to natural conception in someone that has gone the route of assisted reproductive technologies like IVF, I want you to know that when you do IUI or interuterine insertion of sperm, there will be a trigger shot that contains HCG and that can make your numbers look higher on that first draw and look like they weren't doubling on the second draw as the exogenous HCG from the trigger wears off. Examples of trigger shots with HCG in them would be Ovidril, Novarel, and Pregnil. So just a little bit of differentiation there. Now, if you are doing an IUI or IVF, that provider will be doing those blood tests for you. I'm really only offering or suggesting that these be pulled on your own if you're in natural conception and you cannot get into your doctor. So if you can't get in to your OB until eight to 10 weeks with a natural conception, these labs can give you a little reinsurance when you do them in weeks four to seven of your pregnancy. So in the show notes, we have linked to a cash pay, meaning no insurance reimbursement, labs that you can draw on your own depending on your state laws. If you have gone through ART, remember your provider will be pulling these for you. Whether you're pulling them yourself or you're having a provider pull them for you, other things that you can also consider adding to your, your labs would be the following. Vitamin D. Vitamin D is notoriously low and unexplained infertility, fibroid cases, endometriosis, PCOS. It's just a good idea to understand where your levels are, and we want them in the top two-thirds of the range, so somewhere around 70 to 80. That lets you know that you need to continue to supplement with vitamin D if they are lower than that. Progesterone. Progesterone is another thing that we would consider, especially in a natural pregnancy, whether or not we want to potentially supplement with progesterone to help hold this pregnancy. You'd want to do that in the first blood draw. 
B vitamins and iron if you've ever been anemic or have had a miscarriage, and if you've ever had thyroid problems or perhaps you've suspected thyroid problems but never been tested, don't be afraid to ask for your thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH to be pulled as well. Thyroid levels can fluctuate greatly during pregnancy and breastfeeding, and if they get too high, meaning hypothyroid with a high TSH, they can actually encourage miscarriage to happen and developmental problems. So again, these items are really easy to add to the same blood draw when we're checking for HCG to confirm a pregnancy, which would be vitamin D, progesterone, iron, B vitamins, and TSH. So if you've listened to the two-week wait episode and devised a plan for yourself of things to keep you busy and in good spirits while you're waiting for that initial big fat positive, you simply put this plan on repeat until you can get into your doctor weeks eight to 10, okay? That plus this lab work that you've pulled should give you an indication that everything is going well and help keep you in good spirits. My other tips are to listen to your body's signals. Be kind to yourself when dietary and sleep habits need to shift, and they will. Have a plan to say no to anything that doesn't serve this special time in your life, and put your health and wellness first. Know your triggers when you're stressed. Are you a people pleaser? Are you a perfectionist? Do you overwork to avoid feelings? Just know yourself honestly and have a plan to overcome them if you notice yourself reverting to old patterns and putting everyone before yourself. The other thing that you might want to consider is to establish with your OB or midwife ahead of being pregnant for higher priority appointments. Some midwives are often the best and the quickest care and hello they come to your house. How amazing is that? And if you're a listener here on the west coast of Florida, a special shout out to Zool, the owner of Uma Midwifery. If you're considering a home birth of any kind or prenatal care at home, she is simply wonderful. I'll make sure that I link to her website on the show notes as well. And last, but certainly not least, decide how you want to feel when you do get pregnant. And don't be afraid to model it and dream yourself into it so that when it does happen, That feeling is familiar and you can savor every precious moment of happiness and hang on to it as long as possible. That's all for today. I hope at whatever point in the journey you are on, this was useful. If you want more high-touch information like this and immediate coaching, you should absolutely come check out my Conscious Conceptions group coaching program. I highly encourage you to book a 30-minute free call with me and ask me anything about your fertility, pregnancy, or the program. This is my way of being able to serve all of you on a deeper level, whether we have worked together before or not, and to connect with as many of you as possible who I have yet to meet. Go to FertileMindsRadio.com to schedule yours today. I can't wait to meet you. Hey, if you're interested in taking this work deeper in your life, let's work together. Go to FertileMindsRadio.com to schedule a free, no-obligation chat to discuss which level of support would be best for you. Or click on the link in my bio over on Instagram at Fertile Minds Radio. It really is that simple.